eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Welcome to a podcast unlike I've done before. This is a podcast about the helmet and the alarm bells about the future of football and what the NFL and the Players Union are doing about that future. In this podcast, you'll hear from top NFL officials about the $60 million they're spending to address head trauma on players. You'll hear from players, some of whom, like Russell Wilson, are investors in a unique helmet company in Seattle called Vices. You'll hear from players who had to be forced out of long-held and comfortable helmets into new ones with greater technology. You'll hear from the brain behind Vices and how it's changing the landscape of helmets and of helmet technology. You'll go with me into a helmet safety testing lab in Charlottesville, Virginia which sort of reminded me of those crash test dummy commercials you've seen from car makers. And you'll draw conclusions from the words of all these people about the future of football and whether there is a future for football. First, though, I'm going to ask you to go back three years. Football was on fire. The landscape of football in 2016 was bleak. The movie Concussion came to big screens across the country with Will Smith playing the neuropathologist who discovered chronic traumatic encephalopathy, that's CTE, in former players. The movie shook America. A human being will get concussed at 60 Gs. A common head-to-head contact on a football field? 100 Gs. God did not intend for us to play football. As a reporter covering the NFL, I seemed to hear a gut punch on football almost every week in 2016. Shortly after NFL legend Frank Gifford's autopsy brain showed evidence of CTE, a brain exam of another Hall of Famer, quarterback Ken Stabler, also found he suffered from CTE before his death. In one poll, A third of Arizona parents said they wouldn't allow their sons to play football because of long-term health fears. And a member of the league's head, neck, and spine subcommittee saw that poll as, quote, a warning bell for the future of football, end quote. A second promising linebacker in two years, Buffalo's A.J. Tarpley, retired at age 23, blaming concussions he'd had and the fear of future ones. The league was scrambling to defuse this alarming number. Documented concussions in the NFL from 2014 to 2015 had gone up 32%. Early in 2016, Commissioner Roger Goodell shared his feelings about concussions and head trauma with a cadre of league leaders. There is no higher priority in our sport right now, was Goodell's message. 
So that's where we'll start this story about helmets. In 2016, when smart people were wondering if America's favorite sport was heading over a cliff toward an expiration date in our lifetimes. I'm at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California, home of the 49ers. With me, just outside his locker room, is one of the best offensive tackles in football, Joe Staley. He's 34 years old, old for a tackle, but he doesn't appear too beaten up by the game. He does have a scar across the bridge of his nose. He's here to tell me the story of the helmet he wore for 15 years, a low-tech now banned by the NFL helmet. By 2016, that helmet was a dinosaur. I start by asking Staley about the helmet he began wearing in 2003, and that, like a security blanket, he just wouldn't let go. Central Michigan University started there in 2003, and um, I don't even remember what it was. I don't even know what the helmet was, the brand or whatever it's called. It's not on any list that are out there now. It's uh, pretty much prohibited by the NFL. Um, but I started wearing it in 2003, and it just fit well in my head. Um, I never actually only had, in my entire time from college all the way to now, I've only had two concussions, both very, very mild. I didn't think they were um, bad concussions at all. So the helmet felt fit really well. I didn't feel a need to change. I tried to actually change in 2012 just because I knew my helmet wasn't like, the safety standards were kind of starting to come out then. Um, and I knew my helmet wasn't that great. So I tried to change in 2012 and went through it the whole entire offseason with it and then went and played the first game against Green Bay Packers in Lambeau opening year. And that's the game where I broke my nose and a bunch of skin fell off my nose. I have scars still from it because my helmet didn't fit right. And just kept on every single time I would block the top of the helmet would just bang down on the bridge of my nose. So you were kind of ticked off, I bet that day. About yeah, and helmet. I went right back to my old helmet because it fit right, and it, you know I didn't really care if it. I mean, it protected my head. I didn't get concussions, and um, it didn't break my nose. So it was uh, old, trusty, old, reliable, and uh, felt good with it. What is it about a helmet that makes a player so attached to it that he doesn't want to give it up? I don't know about it's, it's like. The helmet, I think the players are more accustomed to just uh, routine and having things be the same. Um, I don't like to change things up too much, you know. So you go through your four seasons at Central Michigan and you have the same helmet. Do you become pretty attached to it? Yeah, but but because of that, I don't want to, ch- I mean, because I didn't want to change anything. Right. You know, you just get accustomed to what works well with you. And I don't think it was necessarily like my helmet. It was uh, just that you don't like change as an athlete. You like to stick to your routines and keep your equipment the exact same and all that stuff. You know, Athletes kind of tend to be pretty superstitious too. When Staley got to the 49ers, he was handed a new helmet, but the same model he wore in college. Over the years, when you would hear about these studies that were being done about helmet safety and helmet technology, did you pay any attention to them? Yeah, I did, but I didn't. Um, I think it's also the, the helmet safety, obviously, but also the fit in the head. You know, I never had, I've gone 12 years and I've had two very mild concussions. My helmets always fit really well. Everything was really snug. I've been pretty lucky probably too, to, you know, avoid some serious, uh, 
head trauma, but I don't know, I always felt like my helmet fit really well and protected me well. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a thing that you were almost, you know, joke about a little bit. Like, oh man, I'm so old, my helmet's not even on the list anymore. <laughs> so, one of those deals. The league was studying causes of concussions then, aware for years that helmets were the front line of brain safety. And equipment managers league-wide were urging players to use helmets with the most modern safety technology. But 2016, with Concussion the Movie bringing CTE to a wide audience and parents rightfully fretting about allowing their children to play football, well, that was the line of demarcation. There were two major helmet manufacturers over the previous decades, Riddell and Shutt. But with profit margins slim and the constant threat of litigation from players who sustain head injuries, helmet companies didn't put a lot of money into research and development, or at least as much as the NFL thought was right. One thing the NFL figured it had to do was incentivize innovation and come up with a long-term helmet plan. One new helmet manufacturer, Zenith, began producing helmets in 2009. A very different company, Vices, was founded in Seattle in 2013. But the market was small. The market needed a major R&D boost. I asked the NFL's executive vice president, Jeff Miller, about motivating the owners to make a big play on the helmet. How were you able to convince NFL owners who like money to spend $60 million of their money on this helmet issue? Uh, I, I think that there's, that there's a strong current among the league, the owners, and certainly the players, too, on the health and safety of the sport and a willingness to invest um, uh, to accelerate the health and safety um, agenda that we've set. When presented with the expert opinion that there was a lot of room for growth in the actual protective equipment of the helmet, not to mention pads and cleats and turf and other things, which we'll get to too. Um, the owner's reaction to it was, well, if we can do this, then we need to do this. And, and it wasn't uh, a terribly difficult sell in that regard. It was a very open-minded and affirmative group who leaned into it. Now, there's an expectation of results too for an investment of that size, and that's fair. And so when we created a project like this and surrounded ourselves with some really good experts, we set out metrics against it. When are we going to be able to know this set of information? When are we going to be able to share with the equipment manufacturers, the incumbents, this set of information? What's the likelihood that we'll get more engineers and experts and designers and entrepreneurs in this field to participate in the work that we're trying to do? More, more ideas are better than fewer ideas when we bring more, more information to bear. And so we're held to account for that, but um, the willingness of the ownership, the commissioner, for others to lean into this and say, you know what, you presented it, you made your case, now let's go see some results. I was, and am always, you know, very pleased by, by the sort of interaction we get um, when those issues come up. The NFL hired one of the leading biomechanical scientists in the world, Jeff Crandall of the University of Virginia. He ran a testing company called BioCore near the UVA campus. And in 2016, the NFL announced it would spend $100 million on concussion-related initiatives, with $60 million earmarked toward helmet safety and technology. 
Crandall led the way on scripting out a five-year plan to reduce brain trauma, called the Engineering Roadmap. Goodell said, We know there is skepticism about our work in this area. We'll let science lead the way. And there was skepticism when Goodell said that. But the NFL has a shaky relationship with its players union. But when Crandall was brought on to lead the helmet-related research, he had a partner from the NFLPA, Dr. Christy Arbogast of the University of Pennsylvania. They'd share research and, ideally, come to conclusions together. Crandall was an expert in the field of crash test dummies in automotive research. He would use that to study the efficacy of helmets and of helmet design. My role is really as the chief engineer of something called the Engineering Roadmap. The Engineering Roadmap was a plan to try and get transformational improvement in head injury protection, particularly through helmets, in a relatively short period of time, a five-year period. So what I did is, uh, in conjunction with the, the league, I put together a plan that had a number of different components. We looked at what's happening on field, what can we do for testing that represents the on-field, how can we incentivize people to design to what's important on field, and then how do we get better helmets in the end. And was this sort of pushed by the NFL owner's investment of $60 million in this process? Yeah, in conjunction with the league, we put together a plan, and then we said, what would it take from a scientific standpoint? What would we need to do in terms of work to figure out what the testing would need to be, what the tools would need to be to get better helmets? Really, we're sort of a a research uh, component that lets manufacturers know uh, what is needed, what's happening on field, what are the tests that represent the on-field. We put that together. We put a budget together. Uh, that was brought uh, by the player health and safety folks from the NFL to the owners, and then they awarded the $60 million to do it. So what we do is we borrowed a lot from the automobile safety community. What we've done is we've taken crash test dummies that are instrumented. We've used what's called an impactor, which would represent a player sort of coming in. Uh, we put a, cr- a helmet on the crash test dummy. We impact them, and then we record the, the motions, the accelerations of the head that result. We switch out helmets each time, and for each helmet, we look at how was that helmet able to manage the forces? How were they able to reduce the force that was applied? How were they able to manage the energy? And then we come up with a score or a rating for each and every helmet. To study helmets, the NFL and NFLPA use two labs, the chief testing lab in Ottawa and another, BioCore, in Charlottesville. I visited BioCore to see how the helmets were tested. I'm with Dr. Annie Good, who is a one of the biomechanical engineers who works to do research to study the efficacy of helmets that are used in NFL games. We are in a room that's about 50 feet by 60 feet. There's all sorts of testing equipment in this room to test helmets. All of the helmets that the NFL tests are tested here uh, in, at BioCore uh, in Charlottesville, there's basically uh, a, uh, a wall that is mostly filled with helmets uh, and face masks and all sorts of helmet equipment uh, that are being tested here uh, for uh, their efficacy uh, and for use in NFL games. So I have asked Dr. Good to describe 
what's done in this room. And also then we are going to dis, uh, we're going to look at what exactly happens to a helmet when it's uh, hit by certain forces at different parts of the helmet and how these helmets are tested to make sure that they are good enough for NFL players to be used. So Dr. Good, can you please just sort of describe in general what happens in this room when you test helmets? Um, so we do a variety of um, linear impact or pneumatic ram tests on a, uh, on a helmet. We have a test fixture that allows us to rotate the, the head and neck of a car crash type dummy um, on which we can place a helmet. We can rotate that head and neck around in different positions and impact the helmet at different sites um, that are representative of the sites that a helmet might be in, impacted on the field. Um, we also have um, other test devices that allow us to test helmets in different ways, but um, for the most part, we use the, the pneumatic ram for um, testing the performance of different helmets. How advanced is the testing of helmets uh, today versus, say, even a couple of years ago, three, four years ago? So in, in the past, um, NOXI, which is the, um, the group, the body that determines which helmets can be manufactured, um, they would do a linear drop test, um, which looks mainly at the linear accelerations resulting from an impact um, with a helmet on the head. And that test is used to determine a, a threshold for helmets that can actually be manufactured. And th those tests were based on um, looking at the, the accelerations that cause skull fracture. Um, and so since then, we've progressed into an era where we're looking um, beyond skull fracture, we're looking at things like concussion. And we know now um, from recent, re more recent research that rotational um, kinematics or the way that the head moves um, in a rotational manner can um, influence the um, whether a concussion happens or not. And so the testing that is done now is done with a flexible neck and a test fixture, which, is, which allows us to look at not only linear um, linear motion, but also rotational motion of the head due to an impact. So can you describe to me, let's go over to this machine where the, uh, where the helmet is able to be tested, uh, as you say, in 24 different areas. So what, what we're looking at right now is sort of a long tube with what I would call uh, a mechanical battering ram at the end of it. And we see a helmet that's sitting right here in front of us, and it is on a mannequin's head. And it can be struck, I take it, in 24 different areas in 24 different ways to judge the, uh, you know, the impact on a helmet, theoretically the same kind of impact that is done on a football field on a Sunday. Yes, so um, the, the ram itself is propelled at three different test velocities, um, and that's to represent the, the player that's impacting another player. Um, we test at three different velocities, and those are representative of 
the average closing velocity of two players on field that may result in a concussion, um, and then one and two standard deviations below that. Um, so we test at three different velocities, and we also test at um, eight different impact locations. So that's a total of 24 test conditions. Eight, eight different impact locations on the helmet. On the helmet, yeah. yes. So we'll impact the front, the side, um, the face mask, the rear, um, and at different angles to assess how, um, how different helmets would mitigate the energy um, or attenuate the energy um, that goes into the, the head ultimately. How much of this research is done on every helmet that you have to test? For instance, you know, how long does it take for you to know whether a particular helmet model um, is going to be safe enough for someone to wear in a game? So we, we test at 24 different test conditions. So each helmet model goes through the same 24 um, test conditions, three speeds and eight different impact locations. So we'll, we'll test each helmet um, that way and then we'll look at the resulting head kinematics or the way that the head, head responds when those head helmets are impacted. Um, and that's the information that we use to um, compare the way that one helmet mitigates energy compared to another. The crash test dummies are here because of the similarities between what can happen to the head in a car wreck and what can happen to the head on a violent helmet-to-helmet -helmet collision. Jeff Crandall for years studied car wrecks and how automotive equipment could be improved to make injuries less severe. In 1972, there were 54,000 automotive fatalities on U.S. highways. In 2014, with three times as many cars on the road, that number had fallen to 33,000. Crandall and the NFL hope the concussion numbers can plummet the way car fatalities have. My whole career has been dedicated to injury prevention. I came from an automobile safety background. And I think if you look at what's happened in automobile safety, by providing a framework of injury prevention, you've seen leaps and bounds of advances over the past couple decades. Can you explain where, when you started that and what it was like and now what it's like in the auto business? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think if you look back, I started in the late 80s, but I think if you look back to sort of the mid-70s to where we are now, you look at seatbelt use, for example, was in single digits and we're up above 80% now. You look at how people have driven in terms of fatalities per 100 million miles, we've had something like a 90% reduction over four decades. Tremendous leaps and bounds. And the way in which they've done it is there's a, there's a tried and true fame framework for how you do injury prevention. Part of it's engineering. Uh, cars are much better designed today than they were four decades ago. The Honda Civic today is much lighter, uh, much safer than the Buick LeSabre of the 1970s. Um, that's what we want to do with helmets, same thing. 2018 was the third straight year that NFL teams put big posters of approved and non-approved helmets in locker rooms and equipment rooms at all 32 NFL teams. Good helmets were in green, acceptable helmets in yellow, and low-performing helmets in red. There was one change in 18, however. Players would now have to wear approved helmets in games and practices with only one proviso. They had one year 
to grandfather in the old helmets, the helmets listed in red. They could use those in 2018, but only in 2018. By this coming season, 2019, only the approved helmets would be allowed on NFL fields. I came into this helmet project with a bad assumption. I assume players were married to their helmets because of comfort and security. Some are. Some have had to be forced to give up their helmets. Quite frankly, some still this spring are being dragged kicking and screaming into the newer helmets with the best technology. But I spoke to 14 players in researching this story, and I heard more guys say, essentially, that they want to be protected as much as possible now so they can live normal lives at age 60. I did hear from more of them than players who said, oh my God, get your grubby hands off my helmet. I spent time with two equipment managers who echoed that. Here's the Jets equipment manager, Gus Graneman. They're becoming more and more interested in safety, the players are, which is great. That's That's been jumping every year, guys. That's like one of the things they talk about is, you know, what's the, what's the safest helmet? What's the best helmet? You know, can, let, let me try it on. You know, they, they at least want to try it on, which I think is great. Because, you know, like you said, a lot of guys get attached to a helmet. But now they're, they're all about, well, let me, let, me, let me try it on at least, so, which is great. Let me, let me try it for a practice, which is, is, is what, what I want. You know, it's like, well, just, just give, give it a test drive, you know, so that, that's good. I've had guys come in and try on every single helmet that I have. And, you know, it, they're apologizing to me. I'm like, listen, this is great. I don't care. You know, this is this is fun for me because, you know, as, as long as you're, you know, trying to educate yourself and trying on things, that's great. Another veteran equipment guy, Eric Kennedy of the Seattle Seahawks, agreed. You know, they need to be able to feel like they're vested into it a little bit, I think, and, and, uh, and educated. You know, I think now, maybe 10 years ago, guys weren't thinking what could happen to me after a long period of time of playing the game. Now they're like, hey, it's, I love the game but I want to protect myself. Kennedy toured me through his equipment room, which is more than half helmets. A floor-to-ceiling wall of 120 helmet cubby holes feature every kind of approved NFL helmet, all in Seahawks colors and decals in varying sizes. This way, players can try on and test those helmets during practices. We probably went from spending 150000 in helmets to probably 350000 300000 in helmets this year. That's a big chunk. But what's the value you can put on? There's no value. After this break, we'll return to Seattle to learn about a company that's becoming the Google of helmet makers. And you'll hear from two stars legitimizing that company. Support for the Peter King Podcast comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. You want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. 
Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Peter King to get 10% off. So go to Wix.com slash Peter King. You'll be glad you did. Wilson's got space. Cue the circus music. Wilson throwing for Baldwin. Oh my goodness, he caught it. And there goes Baldwin down the sideline. Vintage Seahawk play. Unbelievable stuff. In Seattle, undersized quarterback Russell Wilson made beautiful music with undersized wide receiver Doug Baldwin for seven years. They did something else together. They invested in a Seattle startup company called Vices. I visited Vices, and it is so typically Seattle. Vices is in the Silicon Valley area of Seattle, South Lake Union, in a converted and combined art gallery slash auto repair shop, just down the street from the Amazon headquarters and the new Google space. It's a few buildings from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Inside the building, it's an open campus layout. The engineers on the same floor with the design team. It's a very casual Friday feel among the scores of millennials in here. A couple of rescue dogs, Lucy and Eddie, roam the floor. The three founders of the company in 2013, it seemed to me, weren't as motivated by profit because helmet companies just simply were not very profitable. They just thought they could build a better mousetrap. Now, no NFL player wore a Vice's helmet till 2017 when the Vices Zero One helmet was introduced. About 65 NFL players wore it that first year. That number rose to about 135 last year, and it will top 200 in 2019. This is the third year in a row the Vices Zero One was rated the safest and highest performing helmet on the market by the NFL and the NFLPA. Last season, the MVP Patrick Mahomes wore it, as did the Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman. Aaron Rodgers may transition into it this year. Vices has helmets in 125 college programs, and players from more than 1,000 high schools wear Vices helmets. The CEO and co-founder Dave Marver gave me a tour, and then we sat in his office, and I examined the Vices Zero One. Right away, the feel was different. The layers are different, four of them. I had never held a helmet with a pliable outer shell. You had to press hard on this hard plastic shell, but there was a little give. Then, inside, a series of tiny columns all over the inside of the shell that bend on impact from every direction and then bend back, like the car bumpers that give in a collision. Then a hard plastic shell atop a soft liner, snug on the skull. And a better peripheral view. Jets receiver Jermaine Curse told me the view is vital for him, so he can better see defenders closing in from either side. This is the helmet that has made Vices a big player in the industry in just half a decade. And so now what players are reporting, and I'm sure you've talked to them, is that the helmet just feels better in collisions. You know, they just can't feel the impacts as much. They don't have the the that momentary disorientation. They don't get headaches as readily. And and so now it's spreading by word of mouth. 
when when you sort of press into the outer shell of your helmet, it just feels a little bit different. It feels like it isn't impenetrable, that there is a very, very slight amount of give to it. What is the science behind the outer shell of your helmet? Well, the, the helmet itself is actually has four layers, and they're all engineered to work together. The outer shell is, is a sort of engineered plastic, we'll call it, that's designed to yield, uh, to give in an impact. And it's a little bit like a car bumper, so it slows impact forces before they reach the head. The challenge, though, is to pick a material that yields, but it's durable enough to hold up for four seasons of impact or more. And it displays that behavior at the temperature extremes you find from Green Bay down to Phoenix. So there's a lot of engineering that goes into material selection. And then underlying that is really the, uh, the layer that does most of the work absorbing the impact. We call it a reflex layer. and has these columns that bend and buckle in a collision. And again, the challenge there is to have it bend or buckle. But unlike a car, you can't take it out of, out of a, to the body shop after a collision. It has to withstand thousands of collisions over multiple seasons and bounce back. So that's kind of the science behind the helmet. How important was the auto industry in giving you the background of knowledge and understanding what was important when collisions happened concerning helmets? Well, one of my co-founders, Per Reinhall, you know, he's chair of mechanical engineering at University of Washington. And to him, it was just such an obvious fix. You know, he took a look at the current football helmets and he said, oh, well, you need nonlinear buckling behavior. You need local deformation. Those are fancy engineering terms, of course. But, but it, it, to me, it's kind of obvious. In automotive safety, you have cars that crumple, crumple zones, bumpers. They're designed to yield in a collision to protect the passenger. So why not put those same things in a helmet? But it has to be done in a way that's practical. You know, you can't take a helmet after a service after, out of service after one collision. So, so we borrowed those engineering principles, and it's an easy way to explain how the helmet works. But ultimately, football is a very challenging use case, very challenging. And that's why it took us at least two years to get this thing ready to field. And so is it an awful lot like the automotive industry in the 60s and 70s did not have a car that could withstand a collision the way that modern cars can. They worked on that, and similar technology has been used in the latest redesign of helmets? Well, that's exactly right. So traditional helmets, those that were on field before we introduced the, the Zero One, were like cars from the 50s and 60s, very rigid steel chassis. You get into a crash, they don't buckle. They don't crumple. So the passenger takes all of those impact forces. New cars do, just like our helmet yields. So that's a very clear parallel. I wonder when you look at the long-term effects right now, have you done much studying to understand how much the, the head, how much the brain is advantaged by helmets like yours and some of the other newer helmets? We have. So we have uh, in our Smash Lab, which is part of our headquarters, we have all the same test equipment that the NFL uses, that Virginia Tech uses, that the U.S. Army uses. And that tells us 
how much we're reducing impact forces in terms of acceleration and velocity and so forth. But we've taken it a step further and we're using finite element models of the brain. And we're, we're looking at how much the brain moves and is damaged by these forces. And, uh, and we're looking to publish some of those results in the medical journals that the neurosurgeons look at and so forth. What's the best thing that you have heard from a player in the NFL to you about your helmet and about the improvements you've made toward helmets in general? Well, certainly the most satisfying thing is when they have a really tough hit and they say, you know, if not for your helmet, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to play. And you've heard that. Oh, many, every week we hear that every week. Yeah. And so that's the most gratifying thing is that we're, we're helping them participate. We're helping them, you know, thrive, but we also want to help them thrive after the game too. So that's, that's really what drives us. Marver raves about Doug Baldwin's impact on his company. Baldwin recently got released by the Seahawks after multiple injuries, and he may retire. When you meet him, you're impressed he could take the physical pounding at 5'10 and 190 pounds that he's taken as a major college and NFL wide receiver for 11 years. He is blunt and thoughtful. Those are traits that Marver and Vices needed to hear from an NFL player. And when I met Baldwin in the Seahawks team equipment room, it was clear he'd been waiting for a tech-savvy company to improve his football safety experience. To be completely honest, I didn't know anything about Vices, didn't know anything about the, the progressions that they had been making in the technology until uh, it was in passing, it was brought up to me by um, a mutual friend uh, between myself and, and the CEO, Dave Marver. Um, and so it was brought to my attention because they wanted some feedback on some of the technology that they were deploying. And so, you know, through the conversations and through um, actually going and visiting the, the warehouse and, and the manufacturing and seeing what they were doing and seeing what, how they were putting the technology together, I thought it was just a no-brainer, um, no pun intended. But, uh, you know, you, you look at the technology and you look at the innovations that they're making and it's, it, it shows that there's an opportunity in, I don't want to say in the market, but in, you know, in, in this arena. Uh, and I thought that Vices was doing uh, a job better than anybody else was doing. And so I was really interested in seeing what, uh, what could come of it. And so obviously, um, then I started doing my research and, and figuring out, you know, what it all entailed. Why is the helmet so important to you? And is part of all this trying to realize that you want to give yourself the best chance when you're 60 years old to have every marble you were ever born with. Yes. I mean, that, that would be the common sense part of it. And that is the common sense part of it, right? If you have a, a helmet out there that is proven to be safer in a number of different ways, why wouldn't you wear that helmet? Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture, I understand that football is just a, a small window in my life. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm like you said, I want to make sure I have all the marbles there that I was born with to experience life and to enjoy life with my family and with my future children. And so that was always on the forefront of my mind and thinking, you know, what do I necessarily need to do to make sure that that happens in the future? And so, um, again, it's just it's a common sense uh, um, decision for me. Can you tell me what is the difference, if at all, between the helmet you're wearing now and the helmet you have traditionally worn? 
traditionally the helmets in the past have been the inside of the helmet has been a little bit more tough a little bit harder um, and so when you put that in you feel it obviously um, and with with the vices helmet it's it kind of fits to your head you know they have specific designs that allow it to fit more proportionately to um, each individual's head and so the comfort is the first thing you notice when you put it put the helmet on I will say over the course of these past two, three years, uh, I've noticed a difference in impact when I hit the ground, for sure. Um, Explain that. How? What is the difference? Well, I think just in general, many people don't understand that um, head trauma, head injuries are typically caused from when you hit the ground. Not necessarily from the impact from person to person, but more so when you hit the ground. Um, and of course, being a receiver and having to go up for balls, I hit the ground a lot. And the difference between um, those two helmets is, is, is pretty significant. Uh, and what I mean by that is when when you hit this, this is, um, how can I explain it? It's like there's a certain sound that you hear, right? It's when something is, is very, um, it's not hollow. Right, so when you hit it, it makes a certain sound compared to when something is hollow. You hit it and you hear a certain sound. With this helmet, you can you can feel and hear the cushioning of the impact um, prior to you know recoiling, and so that that difference is it's not only just a an, an, a sound difference, but it's a an emotional, physical. I really don't know how to explain it other than. It's just a significant difference, and anybody who's you know who's gone through those situations, they understand what I'm talking about. It's hard to articulate, uh, to be fairly honest with you. But um, when you hit the ground yeah. with your current helmet, mm -hmm. is there less of a potential a to see stars, b to have a headache? What what exactly is the improvement that you feel right away? Um, trying to get technical with me. Um, I personally, I have had less situations where I have felt the need to take a moment or take a few seconds to gather myself. So those moments have been less with this helmet. Um, you know, and again, I, I can remember specifically a time when I got hit, I hit the ground and I got up and I was thinking to myself, um, I'm glad I had this helmet on. As Russell Wilson explained to me, he switched devices for many of the same reasons. But the biggest is how much less the big hits bother him now. And for a guy who wants to play multiple more seasons, the long-term impact of the big hits are vital to Wilson. Yeah, I don't feel really anything anymore. You know, when you hit the ground, it's okay. You know, you just hop up. But, you know, and the reason why, that may sound crazy to most people, but if, if, you, if you were able to see the research and be able to go, which I'm sure you've had, had the chance to, but if you go to, to the Vice's facility and you know how they have those, and you always see these commercials where the, um, a big old metal bar hits the car or the car, car the accident. The battering ram. Yeah, you know, and you see that, you see that impact and you see the blow that a that a that a car can take and or, and what it cannot take, and then you do the same thing with the helmets and compare them to the old helmets of three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago compared to the vices and the and the the lack of impact um, 
you know, for the Vice's helmet, the 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 the, the less impact that happens, it's it is drastically different. Um, so that's why I wear the helmet for sure. Do you feel like when you're 60, 65 years old, that you are giving yourself the best chance 100%. to be a, a totally normal guy at that age? One hundred percent. I think this is giving giving me a better chance. I know that. I'm not going to say it's a perfect thing. You know, like I said, you never know what may happen, but I definitely believe this gives me a way better chance. The NFL has been looking at the root causes of concussions for years. The engineering roadmap and the crash test dummy research has allowed the league to zero in on hits to helmets like never before. Crandall told me the league has analyzed 600 concussions and 80,000 total head impacts in the last couple of years, reconstructing some of them from precise angles and at the estimated speed of collision in the Ottawa and Charlottesville labs. Take me from the moment there's a concussion to the work you do to try to determine why that happened. Sure. So if there's a concussion in a game, immediately following the game, there will be a listing of the players that were injured, and that will go to NFL Films and we'll pull all of the video, We 12, 14, 15 views of the event. We will then have a, a biomechanical engineer go through and assess uh, what was the impact location, what was the impact source, was it helmet to helmet, was it helmet to shoulder, was it helmet to ground, um, what was the player position, uh, what was the type of play. We collect more than 150 variables that describe that event. All of those, that data goes into a much larger database where we can link it with other information on, you know, the, the history of that player's involvement, uh, the plays in that game. So we really get a comprehensive uh, assessment of that particular player on that particular play. One of the things that we do is we put what's called an RFID sensor in each and every helmet. What this does is it's actually a descriptor of that helmet make and model and year. And what it tells us is when a player's injured, for each and every player, we know what helmet they're wearing on each and every play. So we start to build up a database of both when that player was injured, but also when they weren't injured. How many plays were they exposed to? which allows us to get sort of a concussion rate for a helmet model per given play, per player position. So how long will it take you to analyze every detail you're going to need to analyze on that concussion? We do it on an ongoing basis throughout the season. We're about, it takes about two weeks. Um, we're big into getting multiple people to put their eyes on, on the film. So we have two engineers that go through each and every concussion. If there's any discrepancy, uh, they go to a review board of two more. So within two weeks after the game, we'll have the information. It all gets uploaded into a database into the league, and we're continually monitoring what's happened during the season. Our plan, given that we do have this level of confidence and understanding of what's happening, is to put out a challenge to the manufacturers early next year, uh, not only the incumbent manufacturers, but entrepreneurs and innovators that will share this information, will have a challenge that will actually provide funding for innovative concepts, and, and hopefully will lead to uh, design ideas that really are transformational. Up next, the holdouts must be converted. Entering the 2019 offseason, 32 active players out of about 2,100 were clinging to their grandfathered non-approved helmets. 
I talked to one, Oakland tight end Derek Carrier, who, in minicamp practice sessions, is trying to choose between a shut helmet and a custom-made Riddell helmet. It's a choice, grudgingly, he's glad he's being forced to make. I think, especially as a receiver and catching balls and running around and having to be precise and in and out of your cuts, it, it's it's something that people might take for granted. Because um, let's just say the helmet I was wearing before was a certain weight and then the new helmet might be a couple ounces heavier. It's a different feel running and making cuts and, and you know getting your head around and trying to adjust to the ball. There's a bunch of different factors that you know, aren't taken into consideration, you know, by maybe by like the average fan or someone that's not familiar with the, with the process, but it's definitely a learning adjustment. It takes time to get used to. You now have two helmets that you're going to choose from a shut helmet and a Rydell helmet. It's the Rydell helmet that essentially is basically personally made for every player. You know, I've talked Mm -hmm. to several players about that. Joe Staley with the 49ers who, thought it was really, really strange that there's only one of these helmets on the planet, you know, for his yeah. head. <laughs> so h- how do you think you'll make that decision? Honestly, it'll, for me, it'll probably come down to a sense of comfort when I'm running around, just how it feels naturally on my head. Um, like I said, the shut helmet has been pretty much what I've known, you know, for the majority of my football career. But at the same time, looking at where the testing and the science behind um, concussion prevention has gone, especially with helmet construction. That's something I've had taken into consideration, especially with the, uh, the Speedflex, the new Rydell helmet that is custom fitted to your head. There is, however, a slightly more famous holdout, Tom Brady of the Patriots. For years, he's been wearing the Riddell VS4, one of the now banned helmets. Last year, for a while, he went to the Riddell Precision Fit, the custom-fit helmet that so many players now swear by. With that helmet, players put on a beanie-type cap with sensors, and the head is scanned, and a helmet is custom-made to fit that one head. Joe Staley wears it, and he loves it. But the comfort of the old model eventually made Brady go back last year, and that's what he used for the final 10 weeks of the season. But this year, however, players won't be allowed onto NFL fields, the league says, with non-approved helmets. So maybe Brady will go back to the precision fit, or he'll take the helmet with the perimeter vision and tech-savvy design, the Vices. We'll see. For the longer term, Vices and other companies are working on position-specific helmets, which would be a first in NFL history. Jeff Miller of the NFL says players could be wearing them by the 2021 season. Wide receivers and quarterbacks, for instance, could have extra protection inside the helmet and back to protect against their heads thudding backward against the ground after big hits. Linemen who customarily get hit in the front and sides of their helmets could have more protection for their foreheads and temples. The league is trying not to gloat over the decline in concussions in the 2018 preseason and regular season. Concussions were down from 281 in 2017 to 214 last season. Now, a 24% drop is huge, obviously, but it also might be a one-off instead of a trend. In one year, you just can't tell. But there's a sense around the league that the concussion tide is turning. 
that the engineering roadmap and the scientific approach led by Crandall and the NFLPA's Christy Arbogast is working. That the transition to smart helmets like the Vices Zero One is limiting as much head trauma as possible in a sport where faster and stronger and bigger are the biggest words. Jeff Miller told me he's more optimistic about the safety of the game than at any time in the five years he's been in this job. And if that's the case, the helmet and the men and women designing and inventing and testing and radically updating this iconic piece of equipment deserve the credit. Thanks to my guests from this unique podcast, including Joe Staley of the San Francisco 49ers, Doug Baldwin and Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks, and Dave Marver of the innovative helmet company, Vices. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and John Elway. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor this week, Wix. Please support Wix the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.